the study of the Gospel of John has been so encouraging to me. It's been challenging to me. It's been enriching to me. I pray that that has been your experience. We have worked our way to the seventh chapter of the Gospel of John. We're going to kind of cover that seventh chapter really in just one service because there's, there's a central idea, there's a central theme. And I want to introduce you to that theme of John chapter 7 by reading to you uh, some passages of Scripture, three in particular, that kind of set the tone for uh, what I believe the Holy Spirit would want to teach us. Let's read these three passages of Scripture, and uh, then let's ask the Holy Spirit to teach us this morning. The first is found in the book of Exodus. It is a time when the children of Israel have been freed from bondage in Egypt. They have experienced the mighty hand of God um, in so many different ways, not the least of which was the parting of the Red Sea. Um, They find themselves now, because of disobedience, wandering in the wilderness. And we take up that experience in that story in Exodus chapter 17, I read just the first six verses. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, talking, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. And behold, I will stand before you. I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. God's incredible provision of water for the people who had such great thirst. And then I turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and read just two verses to you. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And maybe he was teaching them about this time of wandering in the wilderness. Maybe he was teaching them about the Feast of the Tabernacles, which is celebrated every year by the Jewish people, and as he was teaching to the mostly Gentile church at Corinth, maybe he was trying to get them to understand maybe what the Holy Spirit would have us to understand this morning. And beginning in the second verse, talking about these children of Israel, it says, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud, all publicly professed their belief in God's provision, in the cloud that guided them by day, and in the sea that was separated for them to escape. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. 
For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Was Christ Jesus. Paul, in teaching the church at Corinth, was teaching the sufficiency of Jesus. Was teaching what we have professed and taught and believed and embraced so often here in our times of Bible study that Jesus is all that you need. Then in John chapter 7, verse 37, a culmination of a lot of events that took place in John, but in the 37th verse it says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge, we recognize your presence in this place. We have sung this morning about your love. We have sung this morning about your invitation to us to come to you and to partake. To come to you to quench our thirst. God, may that be the desire of your heart in this room. However you might bring that about in our lives, we, we surrender to you. We open up our arms. We anticipate your ministry in our lives. Give us ears to hear your voice. and Give us hearts to receive from you. Oh God, accomplish great things in the lives of your people so that your people might accomplish great things by your power, for your kingdom, and for your glory. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The beginning of John chapter 7, it talks about Jesus going to Jerusalem. He's up in Galilee and he has to travel down to Jerusalem so that he might participate in the Jewish Feast of the Booths or the Feast of the Tabernacles. There are seven feasts that the Jews, the Jewish people celebrate every year. There were four that occurred in the fall and there were three that occurred in the spring. This is one of the festivals that occurred in the fall and it was one of the three that Jewish men were required to travel to Jerusalem to celebrate. It was a celebration of of remembering God's power and God's grace and God's provision and God's direction during the wandering of the people of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. And the way that they would celebrate that, it was an eight-day celebration and it went from Sabbath to Sabbath. Every day, the high priest would take a, a golden pitcher and he would go down to the pool of Shalom and he would fill that pitcher with water from the pool and he would take that pitcher back into the temple and he would take it to the altar of sacrifice, and he would, he would pour out the water on that altar of sacrifice. And on that eighth day, when he went through this ritual of remembrance, 
when he poured that water on the altar of sacrifice, it would be a time of great celebration. The people would begin to shout with joy. The horns would blow. There would be dancing. There would be singing. This was the, the fulfillment of this incredible celebration that the God that they loved and the God that they served was a God that was real and was a God of power. They would shout at the top of their voices uh, a passage of Scripture from Isaiah chapter 12, a simple phrase that says this, with joy you draw water from the wells of salvation. It's at this very moment that Jesus stands up and He shouts, if anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. This is the beginning of the last six months of Jesus' earthly ministry. As we study the Gospel of John and its harmony with the other three Gospels, we begin to realize that Jesus is becoming very polarizing. That those who love Him, love Him more. And those who hate Him, hate Him more. That His message has, become, has come to a place of of decision for people. And it's a, a tough message, and it's a tough message because hearts are so hard. I believe that, that in our culture today, we find ourselves in the same place. Where Christianity, where Jesus and His claims and His offers are becoming very polarizing. This middle ground that we have lived in for decades, even centuries, is, is a middle ground that's beginning to, to go away. And it's, it's, it's going to come to a place very soon. Maybe it's here where people have to say, you know what, I'm for Jesus. Or I'm not for Jesus. And there's no middle ground. In our study of the Gospel of John, I, I see Jesus building toward that very place, that place of decision. I feel like that's where we're at as a church family. Where this idea of casual Christianity has to be put away that we have to come to a place where we're either for Him or we're against Him. Where we serve Him or we don't. This was a revolutionary kind of thing that Jesus did. To stand up at this feast where where they're celebrating God's provision of water. And basically what Jesus is saying is, I am that water. And if you're thirsty, come to Me and drink. It's what the Apostle Paul was teaching in 1 Corinthians. Jesus is that water. Jesus was the representation of, uh, of the cloud that led you through the day. That was Jesus. Celebrate Jesus. He was the manna that you ate. As we looked at a couple of weeks ago in John chapter 6. Jesus, I think, during this time is realizing that these people were, were drinking from what we'll call a, a, the river of ritual. It's how they were getting their spiritual thirst quenched. 
is going through these rituals like we do. And he realized that, that after partaking of, uh, of this, this ritual, that, that what people would do is they, they, they would return home and, and they would live with the same old fears and the same old frustrations and the same old failures just like we do. That we come and look, this can be an emotional time. It can be a fulfilling time. It, it can be a time of worship. It can be a time where you, where you sense God's presence and you feel so close to Him and, and you walk out of here and you're on a, a kind of high, but, but you're not drinking from the water that is Jesus. He's not your greatest desire. He's not what you want more than anything else. And we begin to have the desires that the world uh, provides for us this realization that Jesus had. Holy Spirit, would you kind of get us to focus this realization that Jesus had of the people drinking from this river of ritual I think is a reality for us today. That we try to quench our thirst in all the wrong places. Listen, we all thirst Every one of us thirst. Every one of us has desires. Every one of us want to, to experience love and acceptance, purpose, freedom, contentment, fulfillment. Every one of us wants to know that, that our lives have value. Every one of us thirst. We look to anything and everything that the world offers to quench our thirst. Jesus stands up and he says, Look, if you thirst, come to me and drink. It's not so much a command, it's his offering of himself to us. It's, it's him saying, if you, if you desire those things, if you desire love, if you desire this, this sense of purpose, if you desire this sense of value, then, then what I offer you is myself. Come to me. We all thirst. And we have a choice this morning about where we will go to have our thirst quenched. That's what this entire chapter of John 7 is all about. Jesus offers Himself, He presents Himself as the thing that can quench our thirst. It's like He said in John chapter 6 when they were talking about Him being the bread of life and, and He was asked this question, really and truly, what do you want from us? What, what, are you, what, what, what is the work that you require from us? And His answer to that was, here's the work. Believe me. Trust me. Have faith in me. When I give you myself, embrace that, believe that, that's really the work. That's what it's about. And that is a, an application and a lesson to be learned for us as we study that Jesus is the living water, that He presents Himself as the only thing that can really quench our thirst. And yet, we don't believe that. And so, in not believing that, we look to have that thirst quenched elsewhere and we'll, we'll try anything. Whatever it takes to be accepted, whatever it takes to be loved, whatever it takes to have value, whatever it takes to have true purpose in our lives, we'll try anything. 
I offer this to you really just as an example, but it really made me think as I was studying on this and meditating on this and praying about this. It took me back to the, to the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament written by what most would say is the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, the son of David. In this book of Ecclesiastes, it's, it, it, it's kind of like his journal, it, it's kind of like his diary. It's kind of like him sitting down at the end of his life and kind of writing this final letter, this, this, these final notes. And you know what Solomon said? The wisest man who ever lived. Maybe the wealthiest man who ever lived. It's all vanity. It's all vain. And he begins to chronicle for us beginning in the second chapter what his experiences were. And as he, as he offers these to us, he says, you know what my experience was? I, I, I found them to, 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 to be empty. It, it, they didn't scratch my itch. They weren't fulfilling. They weren't satisfying. You can read this for yourself in the second chapter of Ecclesiastes. He starts with pleasure in the first couple of verses Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he said, I offered myself all of the pleasure of the world. It's as if his life began, was a, a perpetual vacation. He had the means to, to experience anything that he wanted to experience, and he didn't have to do it for himself, he just had it brought to him. And he says right there that, that after experiencing pleasure and, 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 and whatever that he wanted, it was just this, this life of opulence. He says it was vain. It didn't fill me. It didn't satisfy me. It didn't scratch my itch. It wasn't fulfilling to me. And then he goes on and he says, wealth. I, I, I put all my faith and my trust for, for satisfaction, for fulfillment in wealth. And he talks about how many slaves that he had and how much gold that he had and how much silver that he had right there in that second chapter of Ecclesiastes. And his conclusion from that was, it's all vain. It's not satisfying. It, it leaves me wanting more. It, it leaves me empty. Listen, I would be naive to think that there's not people in this room who are striving and working for wealth. We all desire money. And most of us think that money will solve our problems and having our problems solved will give us this feeling of contentment and this feeling of fulfillment and this feeling of purpose. Listen to the diary of the wisest man who ever lived when he says, trust me on this, it's vain. It's all vanity. It'll leave you empty. It's not the answer. This wisest man says, pleasure's not the answer, and wealth is not the answer, and so he tried women, relationships, sex. That's got to be the answer, and Solomon, in disobedience to God's very, very clear command, had 700 wives. If that wasn't enough, he had 300 concubines, women that he would be with that weren't his wife. 
Now listen. He says, you know what? That was vain. That was empty. That was not satisfying. There are those in here who go to the internet for satisfaction. There are those in here who think relationships will fulfill and satisfy. The wisest man in the world says, look, I can speak to this with great experience and authority. It's all vain. It does not fill. And he even said, you know what? Wisdom, possessing wisdom and having wisdom, that should fulfill me. That should satisfy me. In the 12th verse, he talks about wisdom, and and his conclusion to that was, you know what, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know, it simply doesn't satisfy. I find myself just wanting more and more and more and more. Is that not something that we can relate to? We go to the world, we try to find satisfaction, we try to quench our thirst from the world, and here's what happens. We simply want more and more and more and more and more. Why? Because it does not satisfy. Jesus stands up at the Feast of the Tabernacles as they're celebrating God's provision of water and quenching their thirst. When Moses took his staff and he hit the rock and water came forth, Paul would later teach that that water was Jesus and Jesus stands up at the Feast of the Tabernacles and he says, If you thirst, come to me. He's offering us himself. He's offering us an alternative to the world. Will you believe him this morning? At the end of it all, Solomon, the 12th chapter and the 13th verse, simply says this. All has been heard. Here's the conclusion. He's a man that spoke with authority. I've tried everything is what he was saying. Everything this world have to offer, I made available to myself. And here's the conclusion of my experience. You need to be in awe of God. You need to fear God. You need to have a relationship with God. And you need to keep His commandments. You need to believe Him. You need to do what He says. You need to go where He directs. You need to make His priorities your priorities. Because ultimately, this is the only thing that's required of man. Because ultimately, he says, this is the whole duty of man. And the wisest man in the world says this, and that's it. I don't need hours or days or months to teach you And to give you the wisdom that God has given me, here it is. Be in awe of God. Worship Him. Do what He says. Ultimately, that's life. That's fulfillment. That's satisfaction. And so the question for us this morning is this. What do you desire? What do you think thirst for? How do you have that thirst quenched? How do you go about doing that? It's so interesting to me that Jesus says, if any of you thirst, 
If anyone thirsts, I am glad that, that he used that word. This is, this is him offering himself to everyone. Come to me and drink. How do we create in our lives a thirst for God? I don't know if you can relate to this at all or not, but David, in writing the psalm, says in Psalm 42, the first couple of verses of that chapter, as a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. As a deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you. It says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. That's harder for us to relate to. How do we create a desire for that? How do we, how do we desire God above all things? In Psalm 143 and verse 6, he says again, my soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Guys, look, I, 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 I'm not sure how to give you direction in this. It's been a couple of months ago, I think, that I offered you a prayer. I, I, I do that again this morning. The prayer is a very simple prayer. It must be prayed with a pure heart. It, it must be prayed with a, a, an anticipation of God's response. And the, and the prayer would go something like this, Dear God, Whatever it takes. Do whatever you have to do in my life to make you my greatest desire. Folks, I, I believe with every fiber of my being that that is a prayer that God honors. That if that is our heart, I want you to be my greatest desire. That that is a, a prayer that God will bring about in our lives. When you have a man and you have a woman that, that would pray a prayer like that with a pure heart, they would really mean it. I want God to be my greatest desire. I believe God begins to orchestrate things in our lives to bring us to a place where, where we are so very, very thirsty for Him. Not just needing a, a, a sip of Him, but but needing gulps and gulps and gulps of Him. That is a prayer that He will answer. Make you my greatest desire. Give me a thirst for you. you got to desire it. Here's the second thing you need to do. Go to Jesus. Here's what that means. Don't go anywhere else. Don't, don't go to Oprah or Dr. Phil or your horoscope, for heaven's sakes. And don't desire wealth over Jesus. Desire Jesus. 
go to Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That is a promise from Jesus himself. If that is your heart, if your heart is pure in, in, in asking, then, then you will be satisfied. If your heart is for me, for righteousness, I think that's where Solomon ended up. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. It was his way of saying, hey, how's the rituals working out for you? How's wealth working out for you? How's relationships working out for you? How's prestige working out for you? If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. God, create in my heart a desire for you. And then as that desire begins to grow within us, then we go to Jesus. A desire, go to Jesus and make a decision. You've got to make a decision. And Jesus offers himself to you, but he doesn't make you drink. You got to decide this morning. You're really, really, really thirsty. Jesus makes himself the living water available to you. What will you do? What will you do? Here's how I close. If you're tired of living without spiritual passion and a zeal for God, if you're tired of just going through the motions, the Lord invites you this morning to come to Him for spiritual renewal. If anyone thirsts, come to Me and drink. Are you thirsty for God? Are you thirsty for Love and acceptance and purpose and value and satisfaction. Come to Jesus and drink. Let me invite you to stand. Every Sunday at this time in our service, I get this feeling within me well, we're almost done. The message has been preached. What will people do? This is a life-changing truth. Life-altering truth. This truth will radically change your life, your family's life, your relationships, your community, your church, the world. It will change it. What will you do with what Jesus has offered to you? He's offered to you himself, and he's made a promise. In me, you will find fulfillment and satisfaction. In me, you will find purpose. In me, you will find love and acceptance. What will you do with Jesus, Holy Spirit, 
the reality is that as we begin to worship you this morning, that down here at the front, there ought to be not 10, not 20, not even 100, but more that would come and say, God, I confess I've, I've tried to quench my thirst with everything that the world has to offer and I have found it lacking and I'm coming to you today, Jesus. I'm coming to you today. What you say is more important than what the world says. What you offer is more valuable than what the world offers. All has been heard. The conclusion is this. I'm in all of you, Lord Jesus. I will follow you. If I have to follow you by myself, I will follow you. That's what I want my life to be about. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make that the desire of every heart in this room this morning as we worship you. In Jesus' name.